Welcome to the Global Missions, Inc. podcast. Today's episode features David Love with a message called The Battlefield of the Mind. This first part may seem a bit dry, and I, I apologize for that, but it seems important to me that we, uh, that we lay a little bit of groundwork regarding how God has made us. And even as you elders think in terms of counseling or have people come in to counseling, it may be good for you to have some of this background that you might share with people so that they kind of understand the reasons they have got into the situations and the way they think, kind of how they got there. So if you will bear with, with me, we'll, we'll try to go through a little bit of background. First of all, man was created by God as a three-part being. Genesis 2 and 7 says, And the Lord God formed man, his body, of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In other words, he gave him his spirit, or man's spirit. Not God's spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of man. And man became a living soul, a being, a living person, with a mind, emotions, and a will. The New Testament confirms this, that man is a tripart being. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 and 12 confirms that there is a difference between the soul and the spirit. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, Each part of man has a particular purpose. The spirit of man is that part of man that communes with God and through which God reveals his will to man. He has a body which allows man to interact with his environment. And then kind of in between the spirit and the body, if you will, is the soul. Now, sometimes uh, uh, heart and soul and mind are kind of used interchangeably in the scripture. But if we really break it down, the soul is man's personhood. When, when When the Bible speaks of a soul, it's talking about that particular part of man, which uh, encompasses his mentality, his thinking, his mind, his emotions, and his will. What I would like to focus on primarily, that part of the soul, which is the mind, that part which we think thoughts with. Proverbs 23 and 7 said, For as he or as a man thinks in his heart, or in this case, speaking of his mind, so is he. 
because we think with our mind. We don't necessarily think with our heart, but that's what it's speaking of here. It's how what we think determines basically who we are. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What Paul is talking about is, he's saying there, there is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, a person who has been redeemed, their spirit has come to life. And, the, and that part of man is now something that God can commune with. And he passes to man's spirit wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, we receive from God by intuition. That's how God communicates his mind to us, to our spirit, is by intuition and revelation. But then it goes on to say that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. So he he doesn't just want our spirits to receive this, but then in order to put it into action, we have to understand it. The, the eyes of our mind and our understanding have to be enlightened in order to be able to put the things of God that have been revealed to our spirits into practice. The powers of darkness have great influence on the unregenerated or unsaved mind. Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 from the, the voice translation says, Now if our gospel remains veiled, it is only veiled from those who are lost and dying. Because the evil God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. As a result, the light of the good news, the radiant glory of the anointed, who is the very image of God, cannot shine down on them. What happens, as far as the unregenerated mind is concerned, when, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the spirit which God gave them, it didn't die from the standpoint of annihilation, but from the standpoint of being able to receive any real revelation from God, it, their, their spirits were as good as dead. So there was really no communion between sinful man and God uh, until, as we find out later, they were saved. But before regeneration, this is kind of the way things operate in the unregenerated person's heart. The powers of darkness or Satan himself, has pretty free reign in and around the mind of man. And he puts these thoughts in there, and then man's mind, sometimes their emotions will be excited, or their will will be excited, and people tend to, a lot of times, operate, you know, you will say about a person, oh, that person is so emotional. Uh, It means they're governed primarily by their emotions, or we might say that's a very strong-willed person. It means they are governed primarily by their will. It all starts 
in the mind. Then eventually it gets to man's body. That's where the actions are taken. Now, Satan has to get a thought started in order to be able to do uh, any real work in a human being. The powers of darkness are powerless to impact man's emotions, will, or body without first having gained ground into man's mind. When Satan tempted Eve in the garden, he first got her to start thinking and reasoning with her mind along deceitful lines. Finally, these thoughts influenced her will to take the forbidden fruit and finally her body to take the sinful action. But look what takes place upon regeneration. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 13 from the NIV, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. So prior to regeneration, it is man's mind, his way of thinking, that obstructs his knowledge of God. Something happens at the hour of new birth. Repentance brings about the resurrection of man's spirit and a change of mind. So this is kind of what the authority structure looks like after the new birth. Now, the Holy Spirit enters man's being and communes with man's spirit. And then as we meditate on the things that have been revealed, then that spirit of wisdom and revelation begins to open the eyes or enlighten the eyes of our understanding. And we begin to understand how to put those things into action and let them work on our wills, our emotions, and ultimately our body to take the actions that come from the thoughts generated first by the Holy Spirit. Now, what follows new birth with regards to the mind? Well, it may come as a surprise to you that even after repentance and regeneration, the believer's mind is not totally freed from the potential influence of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3 says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But listen to this, what Paul says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In other words, his fear was, is that the enemy could still, working from the outside, deceive us into thinking thoughts that aren't true. So as Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers, he can, if we allow him, deceive the minds 
of believers. So, you guessed it. We're in for a battle. Man's will and body are like a citadel, which the enemy craves to capture. The open field where the battle is waged for seizure of the citadel is man's mind. And that's why we call it the battlefield of the mind. You can be certain we do have a real adversary. First Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Second Corinthians 2 and 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. However, although we are not ignorant, we forget to think right. As Christians, we of all people have the resources to be the greatest thinkers in the world, but we are too often spiritual amnesiacs. Scriptures confirm that we are in a spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 and 12, again from The Voice, we're not waging war against enemies of flesh and blood alone. No, this fight is against tyrants, against authorities, against supernatural powers, and demon princes that slither in the darkness of this world, and against spiritual armies that lurk about in heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginary arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing, in, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Now, Paul tells us we are in a war, and he tells us where the war is. Paul likens man's mind to a place where the enemy has built up strongholds, which are arguments, reasonings, imaginations, and rationalizations, which are contrary to the truth of God. In other words, they're lies. These strongholds must be pulled down using spiritual weapons that are made mighty through God. Now, what are the objectives of the spirit in this war? Well, to pull down the strongholds, cast down the arguments that the enemy erects that contradict the knowledge of God. Well, how is this accomplished? 2 Corinthians 10 says, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now begins the war for liberation of the mind from any enemy strongholds. Well, first of all, we would ask this question. Who is responsible for what we think? Is it God? No. It is we who must choose whether to offer our minds wholly to God or to allow our thinking apparatus to be used by whoever seeks access. Remember the process of total salvation, spirit, soul, and body. 
Romans 8 and 10 says, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Remember, when we are saved, there is a resurrection. Man's spirit is resurrected to eternal life. Praise God. In thinking about the body, if 1 Corinthians 5 and 52 In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. But between the already, which is the resurrection of our spirit, and the not yet, which is the receiving of the new body, the Holy Spirit is working on sanctifying our souls. Part of the sanctifying process is the renewing of the mind. If you if you think about the the book of Romans, which is a tremendous a tremendous book full of just amazing truths. Romans chapters 1 through 11 are basically theology. It's laying the groundwork for the practicality which he begins to teach in chapter 12. And that's begins with the renewal of our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then look where he starts. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, one thing we need to think about as we begin to work through this process of, of having our minds renewed, is it possible that even as Christians, that over time, even since we have become Christians, we have seeded some of the ground of our mind to the enemy. There are three areas that we must consider. One, is our spiritual mind being renewed or are we still thinking with the old natural mind? Two, have we accepted lies from the enemy as truth and allowed ourselves to be deceived? And three, have we allowed our minds to become passive and just let them wander into whatever thoughts come along and drop in? Remember this, 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray or deceived, if you will, from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's Paul's warning and admonition to us. The mind suffers the onslaught of the enemy more than any other organ of the whole person. As the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers, so will he deceive the mind of believers if, if he can. And so, Paul teaches that the flesh must die, but the mind, God doesn't want to kill the mind as he does the flesh. He wants to renew the mind. 
Because the mind, our mind is necessary in the work that God wants to do in our lives. But then the renewal that happens, the listening to sacred music, worship, spiritual disciplines, the reading and meditation upon scripture, uh, holy uh, friendships and associations, prayer and godly teaching. These are things that we take in to renew our minds. The mind God wants us to have is this, Ephesians 4, 21 through 23. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. What does Paul mean by the attitude or the spirit of your mind? Well, if the spirit of our mind must be renewed, then there must be something wrong with the spirit that it came with. Our minds are not just computer-like organs that we use to accumulate knowledge and then present it to our wills to decide on an action. It has an attitude. It has a bent. It has a point of view. Or it has what we call a mindset. Notice the importance that God places on the mind. Romans 8, 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Right Thinking leads to right living. I found it helpful to kind of reverse the order of the phrases in this verse. I don't think it changes the meaning at all, but it kind of puts the cart behind the horse, if you will. And I just paraphrased it this way. For those who set their minds on the things of the flesh will live according to the flesh. But those who set their minds on the things of the spirit will live according to the spirit. For to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death. Now, these two verses come right after verse four in the eighth chapter of Romans, which says, for the laws of God to be made manifest in us, then we must follow the leading of the Spirit. And the leading of the Spirit is what leads to life. And the way we are led by the Spirit is to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. For years, I have been looking for something in the Scripture that helps paint a picture for me exactly what it means to be led by the spirit we talk about that it's a it's a foundational principle that has been taught to us throughout the years of this move of the spirit but we don't often get right down to saying what is it that that means here's the answer of how to be led by the spirit at least to me and that is 
what that is setting our mind continually on the things of the spirit. We must trust that God has given us a new mind, but we must thoroughly put off the old one by denying and forsaking our old ways of thinking. If we will put off the old thinking, we can be sure God will renew our minds even though we do not know how he does it. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2 and 16. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We must practice the examination of every one of our thoughts moment by moment, denying all carnal thoughts by acknowledging the power of the cross by faith. Whatever is not of Christ or contrary to his truth must be squeezed or pressed out of our heads. This may seem like an impossible task and it will take practice. However, it will get easier over time. Our normal thoughts will gradually become more and more Christ consistent. So how do we examine each thought? Well, here are the questions we must ask and answer. One, does this thought come from my old mind, the one I inherited from Adam? Two, does this thought come from ground that I have ceded to the enemy in the past. Note, he will not give it up easily. Now, what I mean by ground ceded to the enemy is thought patterns that were part of our old thinking, the the mind that we got from Adam, that we have allowed, that we have nurtured over time. It could be It could be thoughts of unforgiveness. It could be thoughts of bitterness. It could be thought processes of the way we have been mistreated. It could be thought patterns of things that happened in our childhood. It could be patterns of lustful thinking. Things that we have allowed to come and stay. And we've pondered on them. And we have thought about them. And we've walked around and around them and so on for years. That's ground that we seeded. And it's going to take some time to recover those things and imprison those things. Number three, will this thought, if allowed to remain, seed new ground to the enemy? And four, does this thought come from my renewed mind? Isaiah 26 and 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Matthew 22 and 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. People fill their minds with TV news, bad movies, advertisements, social media posts, etc., and then wonder why they have no peace. We cannot allow our minds to spend so much time thinking about these kinds of things and pondering them because then we find we can't sleep at night or we feel low and we feel blue and we don't even know why. But it's because we have seeded so much of our time 
to things that are not really of God. And if we don't control our minds, you can bet there are a lot of people out there who are are looking for the chance to get into your minds and affect your thinking. The light shines in God's word. 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 2 Timothy 3 and 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In preparing this study, the Holy Spirit has impressed upon me the need for me personally to memorize more scripture. Because sometimes, you know, we, do, we, we can't get to the written word quickly enough. When the enemy comes with a certain thought, we can imprison that thought or try to press it out. But if we don't immediately put something in its place, that is the word of God that speaks to these things, then oftentimes we have a difficult time getting the victory. Another thing is how to recover our passive mind. The mind which we have allowed to wander and function as a dragnet to pick up any and every thought, imagination, and argument must be both guarded and prepared for battle. God has given us responsibility for the stewardship of our mind. It is up to us how we use it. Do we actively take charge of what we think or do we allow other powers to use it? First Peter 3 and 16, it just says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. It says, gird up. In other words, prepare for battle. Be prepared to gird up the loins, if you will, prepare for battle in your mind. It's not sufficient just to rid our minds of destructive thoughts. Philippians 4 and 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate is more than just reading. Meditation means almost taking one or two words at a time and just thinking, sitting back, kind of asking the Spirit of God to reveal to you what he has to say to you and then let your mind ponder those things until the eyes of your understanding are enlightened and you can then see how to put these things into practice in your own life. Whatsoever things are true, we must deny all lies of the enemy. I wonder and I think from what little experience I've had that most people who come for counseling are thinking and believing lies. You know, they may come in and you ask, well, what's the problem? Well, you know, I just, uh, I just feel so bad about myself. I've, I've committed this sin or the other sin. It's in my past and I just don't feel like God, uh, will, will, will forgive me. 
Well, then you can say you're believing a lie. <laughs> the scripture is very clear about what God has says. If any man sins, he has an advocate with Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we confess our sins, he forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We can either live a lie or we can believe what God said. We quench the spirit or the working of the spirit even in our own lives when we choose to believe a lie. Have we unwittingly yielded ground to the enemy by allowing him to deceptively cause us to rationalize our sin or allowing a thought and imagination or an argument that is against the truth of God and allowed that to set up housekeeping in our mind? John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We're not victims. We can choose what we think. Fill your mind with the truth of God. Whatever things are noble. Well, noble means honorable, worthy of respect. Matthew 4 and 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word is honorable and worthy of respect. It does not return to him void. This is why I was saying to what I have felt to do is to is to memorize more scripture so that when that thought that comes from where, from wherever that's not of God, I can immediately begin to, to, to say scripture in my heart that speaks to that very situation. One of these passages that I'm working on is from the 19th Psalm, which says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Well, the mind is part of the soul. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It will convert the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What about just? Well, just means righteous, things that are right according to God. Not necessarily what you think is right, but what God thinks is right. Paul, when he wrote this, he had been in, in probably in prison for three or four years. And yet he was not talking about his unjust treatment. He was still expounding the righteousness of God. Whatsoever things are pure, that means morally clean. Unclean and impure thoughts can hurt your life. Don't think that you can watch such and such an R-rated movie that has, you say, well, only has the F-bomb in it 14 times and that won't bother me. Yes, it will. It will get into your head. And that's why you do not expose yourself to those kind of things. Don't think you can handle stuff that you can't handle. People think that they can expose themselves to impure images TV programs and movies that convey impure and unrighteous themes and dialogue and believe the lie that it will not affect them. It will. Whatsoever things are lovely, that means gracious, kind, actually the attributes of God, of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy. That just means it's things that are worth talking about, things that are helpful. Things that build 
yourself up and that build others up. And then finally, putting knowledge into action. Paul follows that Philippians 4 and 8 with this verse. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. In other words, Paul said, now, this is what you think about. But now I want you to, the things that you've learned, you can learn them in your head. But I want you to receive them into your very being. And watch what I did. See what I do. And then you do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.